Strip it, strip it, strip it, strip it. Strip it. Alright, leave it, leave it, leave it. Strip, 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 strip. Bump it. He's coming, he's coming, he's coming. Oh my god. He got it. Nice. Nice. All right, y'all, welcome back to another episode of the Redfish Podcast with me, Shane, and Dave, and it's been a while. We've been uh, kind of getting through the fall and winter. We've been doing a little bit of everything. Fishing when we can, weather's been kind of crazy since Christmas, so not much going on since then, but it was a good fall. It was a good October, November, December for sure. Uh, we've had a good couple days in January, and here we are in February coming up to where you know it's blowing 36 miles an hour today sustained so pretty nasty stuff and hopefully we get a good couple calm days behind it but uh we got a lot to talk about today we've had quite a few meetings on redfish since then since the last one i'll just let you out let us start by you know just seeing what everybody's been up to it's been mostly duck season for me fishing was good like i said back in the fall and into around christmas time and really from christmas to now i haven't been doing too much been fishing a little bit on the pretty days um it's been good, you know, um, whenever we get some cleaner water and some sunlight, we've been catching some fish. Not a lot of super small slots uh, in the Bluxy Marsh and all where I've been fishing. Mainly targeting, you know, I like to get back in the marsh and I'd rather look for numbers than big fish. But it was pretty good early in the fall. We had some good big fish days in Port Sulphur and all. And uh, we had some good clean water. Water is extremely salty. I mean, we're just now seeing some rainfall, which... I'd rather just not rain. I don't care. You know, I'd rather everything be dry for duck hunting and, and fishing too. But, well, I'll let uh, Shane and Dave get after it and tell you what they've been up to as far as fishing's been going. And then we'll get into some policy stuff, some meeting stuff, and pretty much whatever else we could think of because we got a lot, like I said. So let's get to it. All right. Well, this is Shane. Um, You know me, all I do is fish. Seems like I'm always on the boat. And, you know, it's it's... Like Ty said, we had a good fall, and um, you know we were we were lacking rain, and then we started getting a bunch of it, and you know now we get you know past Christmas and into January, and now going into February, and you're getting to you're getting into that period where you get the that real crazy weather, and you know you get it, it's just been so unstable that um, it's been tough to you know pattern fish. If anything is good for fishing it's consistency and when you have your weather up and down it just makes it real tough and that's what we've been going i've, I've been going through but you know I, I have people that want to come you know all months of the year just because it's it's good for them to come at that time so i take people fishing for a living so we make it happen and i mean heck we've been having some decent days when the weather's decent and when the weather's not decent some not so decent days so I'm uh, keeping my fingers crossed that it's going to, you know, stabilize and we're going to see see some good weather as we, we get into late winter and, and early spring. Shane, like DJ Khaled, boy, just win, win, win. Just fish all the time. I'm just – that's just what I do, you know. I mean, it's and, and it's sad because if I'm not fishing a few days at home, and I don't know what to do with myself, you know. So I, I get out there and, and, and make it make it happen best I can, so – no, I hear you. I've been fishing some in January over the weekend. We had the Mardi Gras Pirate, so we did that for a few days, had family in, in town, so had a few days off. But, yeah, it's been kind of hit and miss for January. Had some pretty decent fishing, but we had some super cold weather, so some days we didn't get, didn't get to fish. And uh, 
you know, fish was kind of lethargy there for a couple of days. It got super cold, but, uh, but yeah, it's been pretty good, you know, hit and miss. Um, just like Ty always says, if you get a slick, calm, sunny day, the fishing's usually pretty good. But if you don't have a slick, calm, sunny day, it's tough fishing. So, uh, but yeah, like I said, up and down, back at it tomorrow and, uh, got a guys, some guys here for three days and, uh, We'll see how it goes. Excited to get back on the water and spend time just hanging at the house and washing and folding clothes today. So I'm ready to get back at it. Yeah, that's the thing. Like we always talk about. I mean, I don't care what time of the year you come. You give me a slick, calm, sunny day. You know, we're going to catch fish any day of the year. You get people say, well, when's the best time to come? And I'm like, well, when it's uh, sunny with low winds, yeah. you give me that and we, may, we can make it happen. I don't care what time. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've always loved to like the late winter once we get around, you know, Christmas to now. And yeah, we can, I mean, we could have three days where we almost had snow a couple of weeks ago, you know, and everything was frozen. It got down to, I think, like 15 degrees at my house one night. But, um, and then you could have two or three days where it's 60 degrees, slick, calm, and sunny. So I think the weather's more volatile right now than probably any other part of the year. But it's, I mean, the super low water days this time of year, especially if we get a calm and sunny day, they're some of my favorite. And I feel like the fish get a little less pressured right now, too. It's not as many people around, you know, October, November. I mean, you go to every single boat launch, especially like Hopedale and Venice and all. I mean, Cocodri and look at all the skiffs there every day. And there's there's somebody sight fishing everywhere, you know. This time of year, January, February especially, you get a lot of people hunting. And, and then, you know, Mardi Gras comes up, the weather gets unstable. And we don't get as many of those pretty days a week. But when we do, they're usually some of my favorite. It's kind of like I always say about August, you know. With August, we get a lot of those rain and nasty weather and it's very hot. But... You get some unpressured fish because you just don't have as many people messing with them. And that's kind of what it is nowadays is pressure on them. And, you know, we say, we say pressure, like, like there's like we're in Pensacola on a Saturday, but it's nothing, you know, everybody's been here, you know, we get, we get cranky when we see another boat in one spot that we wanted to go to that day. And that's, you know, the beautiful thing about Louisiana is there's just nobody. And when we say pressure, we just mean we saw a bunch of boats at the boat launch and there's probably, you know, some people there, but you know, it's just, it's nice to not see anybody and it's nice to be nice and quiet out there this time of year. And hopefully we got some good weather coming. I mean, I don't mind a little bit of cold as long as we get some, uh, decent conditions. Yeah. I miss, yep. uh, groundhog day. I don't know what you said. I, I missed it. You said beaver. <laughs> I couldn't think of what it was. The beaver or the no, groundhog. A, no, but they had a, they had a nutria too. They got, Louisiana's got a nutria. There. Oh, what the nutria say? Come on now. I didn't see it. No, they do. I, I don't know. I don't know who it was. I don't, I forgot. I just saw it. I don't know where I saw it, but yeah, they, somebody's got it. I just forgot the name of the nutria. I know. I don't think it was that one nudie that they tried to take away that they gave back. You oh, know? Yeah. oh yeah. yeah. But, I, but, but I think it's some, some other one has, you know, or maybe it was just a joke, but I'm pretty sure they, what the nutria say? We got six more weeks. I of. Uh, I didn't see it. Six I more weeks of it. high crawfish prices. <laughs> yeah, exactly. exactly. Right. <laughs> oh, shoot. Well, I've been enjoying, uh, you know, this time of year, it's Mardi Gras. So we used to do some parades and then kind of got out of it. But now with the baby, Maverick likes them. He don't like the day parades as much. So we've been going to parades in Slotel and we'll probably go to like Toth or something like that in the city. But uh, that and that boy loves some king cake, man. I haven't eaten this much king cake in quite some years and he loves it. So. it up, huh? Oh yeah. He loves it. So we get him king cake and, uh, 
I've been eating it too. I've been enjoying that. So that's another thing. If you if you're not from around here, do some research on the King Cake Wars of New Orleans and the surrounding areas, and you'll have some very passionate people that will punch you in the face over a flavor or a brand, you know, or a bakery king cake they like the most. <laughs> yeah, it gets pretty intense. We had one of those debates in my house this weekend whether it was <laughs> Rendazzo's or Antoine's by our house on the way. Oh man. Or- with this dong dong fong see i don't really like dong fongs that much i mean i've always liked dong fong for all their bread and croissants and meat pies and all that stuff long before anybody knew about them i don't like their king cake though i don't like their icing i'm a i'm a manny randazzo and antoine fan you know yeah, for yeah sure. I, I like the I like the foam just because the consistency is different. The yeah. dong foam, the consistency is different on it when you bite into it, and the icing, you know, it's that cream cheese flavor, whatever yeah. it is in there. It's good. But it's like a the, whip. The, it's like fluffy. Yeah, yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. It's good. Yeah, but I mean, I wouldn't say I'd have to say it's really not what I would say like a traditional king cake. I mean, oh, shit. I always tell people, you know, when they talk about, oh, it's not a traditional king cake, I'm like, well, honestly, Antoine's Rendazzo's and all isn't either. Uh, when I, <laughs> it's not, but 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 as far as if you're going to like, a, you know, if one I would consider old school, Antoine's, yeah, to me is the it's the bomb. I, I I'm I'm all about some man. Yeah, I like I mean, Antoine's fact, too. I hadn't eaten one yet this year, and I went and picked one up Sunday <laughs> and I, de- I no Saturday, and I de- I demolished it like there you <laughs> go. out of out of out of out of the whole thing. My wife and my little girl had about a quarter of it, and I ate the other uh, <laughs> I ate the other three quarters of it. You know, so yeah, yeah, it's it crazy. It's wild how crazy people have gotten nowadays with the king cakes, man. You see like boudin king cakes, and I mean they're just they're just getting crazy with it just making king cakes for i don't know i guess for views but yeah yeah i've always liked it like i've always thought of i remember when i was really young like a traditional king cake when i was a kid my mama would always get one from like rouse's or something and it would just be like cinnamon flavored french bread with granulated sugar on the top of it you know that's what i think of and I think of like a traditional king cake, and yeah, it's yeah. not good. I'd much rather, I'd much rather a cake more, you know, a more cake king cake like a Randazzo's yeah. or a Antoine's or something like that. But um, well, that's cool. Let's get to talking. Um, we'll start off with a little. We had a, a potpourri meeting, so I guess we'll just go it all the way back from the beginning. So pretty much, we had uh, we had the eighteen to twenty four three redfish um, notice of intent got pushed all the way to the Senate. Senate voted it down. Um, I mean, a lot of politics in that. Uh, if you weren't there, it's up. If you want to watch it, if you are wondering about it and wondering how to watch it, let me know. I have it all in the recordings of it as well. And uh, I mean, we had a good showing for it. We had a lot of people show up. I mean, Dave, what do you think? We had 60 people speak in favor of that. Um, or yeah. at least there. We probably had about 35, 40 speak in favor of it and about 60 there total in favor of right. that uh, notice of intent. And, uh, I mean, you could tell it was decided beforehand. I mean, it was basically decided by a few different people. And, um, you know, some of them, like Ogeron had said, you know, he he had six or seven people in his district won't, won't vote against it. So, you know, you had a few things like that. But, I mean, we had thousands of people sign a letter that was put on by ASGA, which they did a fantastic job on all that. I've never... Like I told him, I've never seen anybody in my life in in the state care so much and work so hard towards something for the fishery of Louisiana. 
as right. that organization did. So I was pretty impressed by that. But I mean, like I told everybody back in July when that got proposed, I mean, I was just, I thought it was awesome that we took it that far. I never thought we'd get that through and kind of did a little bit towards the end and it sucked that it didn't. But then again, I think it, I think the new notice of intent that got voted on back in December, it's 18 to 27 inches, three fish, no guide limit, no overs. Instead of that, I think 10 year rebuild plan we had on the spawning potential ratio, this will be about a, I think about a 16 year, something along there as far as the rebuild. So it's still, you know, not 30 years like the original. That was what we were so against was the original plan of 30 years, you know, just like you've heard us talk about it before all the things that could happen in 30 years. So we're still under that 20 year mark. Um, it's still a long time, but we'll see the escapement rates shoot up pretty damn high. If we can get this through very quickly, you know, that escapement rate, we could see it get back and, you know, like four to six years, which would be super crucial. Cause like I've said the past three years, we just don't have the number of those 18 to 24 inches that we should, you know, I'll let Shane t- kind of talk about how, what was going on this past fall in Venice and down the road. Cause you know, you get some people and they're like, Oh, it was so awesome. And it was, it was good fishing. The river was historically low, which it should be good. But we saw a lot of those barely legal 16 inches, you know, I mean, we saw a lot of those barely legal 16 inch redfish and people were catching the hell out of them. And they started catching them again in Delacroix where they struggled uh, in the summer and late, uh, you know, in early fall. Still though, you know, it just goes to show even more that if we can get this three fish thing through 18 to 27, we'll protect some of that stock and then get our escapement rates back up, you know, within the next five years or so, rather than eight to 10 years and treating our fish fishery like uh like the shrimp fishery you know i kind of talk about people you know the way we fish shrimp in louisiana walleye fisheries they'll do test trawls and all throughout the spring and then they get to a point where they catch enough keepers in the net whatever that number is i'm i'm no expert on how they do the shrimp um seasons but they have a num a size that they get to when the average of the of that certain size is reached um they open up shrimp season and they test constantly throughout the season. And typically they get towards the end of the season, which is usually usually like, you know, into the fall or so or late fall this year it stretched out tremendously far cuz we had a good shrimp crop. But they get to a certain size limit where they're all catching the average is too small and they close a shrimp fishery cuz literally we're killing every single shrimp that is of size to eat and keep. So we're basically, you know, we just kill them all of that size until they get too small and we we catch too many small ones and they stop, you know, they close the season to allow that smaller crop to grow. And shrimp, you know, they grow pretty fast. They're they're kind of, uh, I guess the, the best terminology you could use would be like a disposable thing, you know, that we get, they get to a certain size every year and we, we're kind of fishing the whole stock. And uh, I think that's how kind of we've treated trout over the past couple of years. You know, everybody talks about, oh, how come in the late summer when we can't catch a keeper anymore? I'm like, well, we killed all the keepers. That's why. You know, they're going to have to grow, you know. And uh, <laughs> I'm hoping we don't see that with redfish, you know. I just, I feel like we have the past three years. We've killed every single barely legal to legal size redfish to where we didn't have any in that mid slot range to grow to reach that and it shows in our spawning potential ratio we didn't recoup the amount to our spawning stock and then our escapement rates were were records low i mean they were as low as they've been since the paul perdome days it shows and hopefully we can do something about that soon to protect those smaller fish but 
I'll let Shane kind of talk about, you know, how Venice and all was. He's down there a lot more than Shane, than Dave and I, and kind of what his thoughts on with the low river and, you know, the good, the good fishing we had this fall. Cause that's what it was. It's probably the better, better bit of fishing we've had in a couple of years. You know, it's no secret. I mean, I've been, you know, I've been guiding what, I don't know, full time since 96 and I, you know, I'm born and raised down in, in Port Selfer. So I've, I've been down there my whole life. And it's, it's always, Venice always was, it shines particularly, you know, in, in the uh, fall when we had low rivers. I mean, it was always, you know, the best fishing or some of the best fishing along the Louisiana coast. But when the river was down, salinities w- got higher, fish moved into the river system. So when the wind blew and all like that, it didn't really matter because they had so much water on the inside that had depth and those fish would move inside and we, we catch the heck out of them. I mean, early on when I was guiding, um, it, it was, you know, we had so many places down river where, we, where the fish would pile up in the fall, whenever the river was down. And then what we see that what we saw this year was kind of a, a, you know, reminiscent of those old days. Now the difference is, is that, and actually it's funny because after the last meeting the other day, where they were, you know, it was just a comment meeting. What was it called? The potpourri or whatever it was. Yeah, it was um, just a potpourri meeting we had because they changed the notice. They amended the original notice of intent. So they're required by law to have that meeting for the public to give their, you know, to, to speak at it and basically speak to the commission members and, and all that. So it was, uh, that was quite interesting. I'll let Shane and Dave kind of get talking, starting about that. Yeah. But anyway, so after that meeting, you know, where everybody gave their comments, well, somebody I've been knowing for a long time, a, a, you know, actually a, a fishes with me, a client, um, and he he asked me, you know, what, he he didn't he he didn't ask he asked me after me, well, are you for or against the you know the changes you know going to three? I said, well, I'm for it, you know. And he he was, oh well, uh, this and you know the fishing's so good this year, and uh, I said, yeah, it is. I said, but it's historically been good when the river's down. Now the difference is. This year and maybe last year, because we've gone through periods of low river for so long, you know, we had good spawns, so we're we're reaping the benefit of that. But the difference is this year and last year, the places we we that where they're catching fish these past few years in the river system is or where we caught them 25 years ago when the river was down, but in places where we caught them 25 years ago when the river was down, we don't catch any now. The difference is the numbers of fish that we had whenever the rivers were down back 25 years ago or, or in, you know, 10 years ago, whatever, 15, whatever, go back. I don't know what the numbers say on the stock assessments, but it, it's when you look at the stock assessments and they tell you that, hey, back in this date, you had this many fish and now you've got less than half of that. Well, that shows in the number of fish being caught downriver in the river system this year when the river's low because places where we had plenty of fish 20 years ago whatever you're you're still not catching them now even though the river's been low and the only reason is is that there's not as many fish in the system so they don't they're not there i mean not in the numbers like they used to be so when i told him i was like well uh you know so people and and get back with the tie i was saying earlier my thought is look We've had some good years. We've seen some good spawns. Now we have a lot of smaller fish in the system. Let's use that as seed. Let that, let's use that and let's not kill all those. Let's try to hurry up 
get the limits changed. That way down the road, we have a good foundation for, for the, the numbers of fish going forward. Because the difference is, is that just like Ty said earlier, we catch them all. And, and that's the honest to God truth. And people can't, they can't understand that. They can't fathom that. They look out there and they see all the water we have in Louisiana and they think, oh, there's fish everywhere. But the truth is there's not. Fish go to certain places because what they have, you know, what they need to survive or what they, what they need to thrive is there. And they go to those areas and guess what? All the guides, which is the guide population has exploded in South Louisiana. All the guides know about that. All the fishermen know about that now because of social media, what have you. So the fish get annihilated when they when they move into those areas. When I was guiding back when, we would never, ever, ever keep 16-inch redfish. We called those rat reds. We didn't keep those things. Well, as my guiding career progressed, all of a sudden, oh, man, that's the good eating ones. Well, the truth was, the reason we said that is we couldn't catch anything else. Because we started catching them in such great rates, because and we had periods of high river where we didn't have good spawns. So that was the only thing we were getting. So you know, Ty can expel on this because I can't. I'm not. I can't think right now. But so you have a spawn, and within a year or so, you got your 16 inch redfish. Well, as those fish got to be 16 inch minimum size where you could keep them, they all got kept. So you just didn't see bigger redfish. So everybody's like, oh well, you know, these these are the best eating. It ain't because they were the best eating. It's because that's the only damn thing we could catch. And because people were trying to catch limits of fish for their customers, that's what they were keeping. No, so that's, you're, go that's ahead. what it is, too. And, uh, I mean, that's a great point on it, too. And what I've dealt with, you know, because I fish the lake a good bit, you know, when I can in my free time. And that's what I've always liked to do is trout fish in the lake. And, we, I mean, those guys saw it. I mean, those guys, a, a lot of them. And I've always said, too, some of the guys around the lake, they're some of the best fishermen, especially trout fishermen around, because it's not easy. It's very hard fishing Lake Pontchartrain comparative to Delacroix, Hopedale, Cocodrie, you know, Dulac, Dularge, Venice and all. Venice is a little different, I will say. Venice is another tough fishery. You know, those guys, they were catching them really good when the shrimp were moving. There was a lot of shrimp around this year. Um, good conditions for shrimp. Not as many people um, catching the shrimp. It, that's a whole separate argument that we'll talk about the shrimp issue in Louisiana one day, but there was a, it was a good shrimp season. We had a lot of shrimp around. So when the shrimp were moving and on their way out in the fall, they crushed the speckled trout over here. They caught the hell out of them. You know, a lot of like throwback size and all, but a lot of keepers and all too. And they caught some good fish this fall too. I mean, the lake was very, you know, good weather, good water and all, but typically and his, you know, historically the past like 10 years, especially, those places like the Avenue and, you know, deep water places and even when the bridges would get good and it never really exploded around the lake this year. Nobody, I mean, they were catching them here and there, but nobody was catching 150 speckle trout in a day like they would usually do on the bridges or the Wrigley's or the Avenue and all in December and January this year. And everybody was like, yeah, I just don't get it. The water's so good. The water's so good. That's all I've heard this whole year. The water's so great. I'm like, that's what Shane was getting at. The The, the fishing was good in places, and people were catching a lot of fish, whether it be redfish or trout. Look at where they were catching them, though. 
they were crushing the speckled trout in the jump this year and along along the river and tiger pass and you know all those places you know where they catching them in historic places where they usually would in the wheel and other places in venice and all like they used to this time of year no they really weren't and some places they were but you know like lake pontchartrain any kind of warm day in December used to be my favorite on earth to go to Seabrook or go to the fish to bridges and all, and you would beat the brakes off of them and nice fish. And they just weren't, wasn't a lot of fish. And it all comes back to this. It's, you know, and this is the scientific term is localized population density of, of a fishery and localized population depletion. So pretty much the water was so good everywhere. The water was incredible. The best it's been to home speckled trout in 10 to 15 years in the Lake Pontchartrain Basin. And that's from here, from, you know, the east side of the lake all the way to the west side of Lake Morpah. There was no place that these fish couldn't be. They were in by Liberty, Jafoncta, you know, they were in the Changipahoa River even. They are catching them in, in uh, over there by Rudock and, and Manshack and all. And that's just, that hadn't happened in forever since I was a kid. But the problem is people were complaining they're just not catching as many. They're catching one here, one there. You know, it wasn't crushing them. And the fact of the matter is, like Shane said, we're fishing far less fish than we had 15, 20 years ago. And now yeah, this year, you know, the, the water was so good every year, everywhere, they could be anywhere they want. So instead of having 100 fish in this square mile area where you could really beat on them, like in Bievenu, like they've done over the years, you had 100 fish in 100 square miles. And good luck trying to, you know, catch a whole bunch of fish in one spot. And I think that's what we saw a few places. And Venice was just, I mean, that like you could listen to Shane talk about, I'm sure, when he was down there this fall and winter, the amount of boats fishing in the river was pretty intense. But, I mean, is that what you saw as well in Venice, Shane? Like, were there places besides the river that those guys were crushing them in like that and i mean were there places that there should have been fish based on how good the fishing was and there wasn't oh yeah that's what i was getting at i mean they had plenty of fish in the river system and they always did when the river was down i mean that's historic but places where we used to catch them back when we didn't, and it's because the fish. And you know, don't, I don't. I don't want to hear all this. Oh, habitat change, BS. No, no, those places are the same as they've been. It's just the numbers of fish because of what you said. We don't. You know, they moved in, but they they weren't moving in everywhere because they just weren't as many as they used to be when they used to move in. You get what I'm saying? I mean. It's a numbers thing. Um, yeah, they can and that's how it want. is everywhere. It's, a, it's just a sheer numbers thing, no that's, matter how you look at it. You know, the, the truth of the matter is, if we had the numbers that we should have had, I mean, the you know, like if you look at the stock assessment, going from twenty million redfish to eight million, you know, over over a twenty year span, if we had those twenty million redfish, they <laughs> there wouldn't have been a place you couldn't have caught them. You know, I mean, you look at Delaco as a prime example; they were catching them really well. But, like, they crush them in Leary one day and then nothing anywhere else. Yeah, kind of jump back through. I know y'all talked a lot about different things, but jumping back through, like, to the meeting, the potpourri meeting, what blows my mind is the guys that, you know, do keep a lot of fish or stand up there and look at the biologists in their face and tell them that their science is BS, like, right in their face, dude. And I'm like, you know, I have two kids who are in school. I know Shane has a daughter in school. And I told him, I said, I know when you work a chemistry problem or a geometry equation, 
there's a set of rules you have to go by. So if they've been surveying these fish for years and years and years, you know, you have a standard that's set there. And I know there's a question about whether or not they survey in the right places and all that kind of stuff. Well, that's maybe, you know, a part of that discussion needs to take place. But for someone to stand there and tell biologists who spend hours and hours and hours and days that the information they're putting out is incorrect. I'm like, and that's like I told the guys, I was like, hey, what if they're off a million or two? I mean, a million or two, whatever. We have 60% less fish, according to the numbers, that we had 20 years ago. And so I know Shane talking about, you know, I can't speak on fishing, you know, 30, 40 years ago here, but I can speak on 20 years ago. And we just don't have the fish that we had when I started fishing here. And so when you look at those numbers being down 60% and you think about, um, just as Shane was saying, they're not catching fish in those historic places they used to catch them. Yeah, they're still catching them good in the river because, yeah, it's down. And I know I'm kind of rehashing what y'all talked about. But, uh, but yeah, knowing you go into the spring when they've kept so many fish, you keep going for a few months and that water gets up. Everybody's going to be right back to crying. Man, we can't find the fish. What's going on? I can't believe they're, they're not here. What happened to them? So I just I think it's just a, a never-ending cycle. But I am uh, hopeful, hopefully, that uh, maybe this thing will slide on through and, uh, man, we'll see some change. Because like Ty always says, that's the knob we can turn right now. If you can get this NOI that they're talking about pushed through, uh, man, that's really going to change the number of fish that are being kept. Yeah, and that's the thing. I mean, like we heard a lot at that meeting, and that was it was it was pretty entertaining. So uh, I don't know. They actually, I think I think they have that one recorded. They didn't live stream it, so I'll find the recording if anybody's curious to watch that one. Um, it was pretty funny as well as uh, I guess educational. I guess more funny than educational. It all comes back to, you know, everybody wants to point fingers, and that's what I always say. Everybody wants to point fingers when we need to look at ourselves and look at what we're doing and say, hey, you know, we could point fingers once we take care of ourselves. And this is, you know, a limit on ourselves and the knob we could turn right now. And it all comes back to as well that I don't know where these people, when they go up, when people get up at those meetings or just on Facebook or whatever, and they're like, oh, there's ulterior motives, you know, that the biologists have. And I'm like, I know what those biologists get paid, man, and it ain't a whole lot. And they don't get a raise for saying we got to keep less fish, just like they didn't get a raise when they say we can keep more red snapper. It's the same damn science done the same exact way by the same people. It's just everybody gets mad, you know, when it comes down to change. Yeah, it's it's and I get it. Some of these guys, they're just scared of change. And And if you looked at the ones and I mean, you have to you have to know them, and I know all of them. And and if if you notice in that room at that meeting, the guys who were griping about it, most of those were the guys that if you look at their you know Instagram or Facebook pages, it's going to be doc shot every day they post. It's not ever one person holding a fish with a smile on their face. It's a t- it's a table full of fish, or it's a boat full of fish or it's a pegboard full of fish. It's never just one person happy they caught, you know, a big fish. Now, don't get me wrong. Sometimes they'll have mixed in, you know, when they're bull redfish and that, but those guys are predominantly, you know, let me just have a table full of fish. So they're coming in saying, if you don't let people keep all these fish, we're going to lose all this business. And, and I, and I understand, well, I don't understand I do from their standpoint, but I think they need to back up and think about what they're saying because 
one of my big things you've heard me say a million times is that the rates we charge to charter fish, if somebody tells me that I'm coming down here to catch fish to feed my family, that's why I'm coming on this charter. If you think that's what all those customers are coming to do, then they need a financial advisor because the rates we charge, you can buy a whole lot of grocery for what we charge to go fishing one day. So that, that argument is ludicrous to me. It's, it's wasted breath. They also, the same guys, they'll be crying when the river's up. You hear the same ones crying. They can't catch nothing, but then they'll have the audacity to say, I'm catching them all day long on bare hooks. Well, yeah, maybe so every now and then, but you act like you do that every year, every day, every year. You've been, that's not true. You're, it's not true. Yeah, it's so, it's a law it, of averages. You know, I tell people, and if we just, they're like, oh, you know, I could, y'all just don't know how to fish. Y'all just don't know what you're doing fishing. I'm like, look, I want all those guys. And yeah, they were crushing them this past fall and winter, but. A lot of those guys were posting box, you know, boxes of croakers and sheep's head this past summer, weren't they? You know, well, July and, and August. And that's, a, and, and that's a lot of it is. You think about it. Okay, let's think about this. One of these guys who used to go out and go out and keep, say he had three customers on board. He would keep the customer's limits and his limit. All right. Because those, all, most all those guys that are griping were definitely keeping the guide limit. So they had, instead of say, so let's just say, say you had three customers and yourself, they would go out and keep a hundred trout. And if they got into redfish, 20 redfish. So now you got laying on the deck of a boat, a hundred trout and 20 reds is a full deck of fish. Well, all of a sudden now, because the speckled trout limits have pushed through and you can't keep a guide limit. So now that same dock shot, instead of having a hundred trout is going to have 45 trout, right? If my math's correct. And if they knock the redfish limit down, instead of having 20 reds, they're only going to have nine reds. So those guys are more worried about the, the big willy contest of showing who's got the most fish <laughs> with their picture than they're all worried about the, ha- the, the future of the fishery. And I don't care what – look, I will debate anybody. So anybody listening that listens to this wants to debate me and have a sit down and have a, you know, a regular debate, let's do it. Call me. You know where to find me. It ain't hard. And we can talk about all this, but the, the bottom line is, from my standpoint, the biologists get paid to do this for a living. They're looking at the data. They're making a recommendation. And at the end of the day, all I care about is the fishery being better in the future for my child's kids, my child, her children, if she has them, and so on and so forth. And if I make money by taking people fishing, and if today they said, look, you can't keep any more fish if it's, it's going to it's either stop keeping them or the fisheries in trouble for the future. I'd say, well, you know what? I got to stop keeping fish. That's the way I see it. So, you know, there's no ulterior motives here to me as far as, you know, it's not a monetary thing. Um, I still run a, a successful fishing guide business and I don't have nearly the meat hog that some of these other guys got. And they can do the same thing. They just scared of change. Yeah, because you can keep so many fish, even if they change it. You know, we still have such more liberal limits. And I know we talked about all that. But, you know, you keep sheephead, you keep redfish, you keep trout. You know, if you're in the summer, snapper season's open, and the weather's nice, load them up with snapper. And, like, you can keep way more fish here than you can anywhere else. And I know, again, we talked about people are worried about, you know, not being able to fill their trips because they're afraid if people can't come fill coolers. And I know we talked about all that. But, uh, 
Um, and I just don't think that's the case because I think people are going to come enjoy the experience. I know you kind of talked about that at the meeting. It's like, you know, if you look at, at the, the cost and everything like that, people are coming for the experience. Yes, there's some that do want to fill a cooler up, some that want to take some fish home, but they're coming for the experience. They're coming because they enjoy fishing with you as a guide. And I think that's what you have to focus on uh, if you want to be successful, you know, doing what we're doing. So We talk about, you know, the redfish, the meetings we've been having and the changing of the limits and, you know, the trout thing went through and then the redfish is next. And they, we need to do it because of the, 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 the science and what the biologists are telling us. And, you know, for those of you listening and, and if, you know, when you, if you care about the fishery, you got to ask yourself when you listen, if you go back and look at the meeting, and the people that are complaining about the changes and the limits, you got to say, okay, you know, are they doing it because, you know, they're concerned about, you know, they think the science is wrong and they, you know, don't think there's an issue or are they saying it because really and truthfully it's a monetary thing and, and um, you know, th their job, they, they, it's, it's money. I mean, is that what they're doing? Because that's not what we're talking about. I mean, the, the wildlife and fisheries, you know, they're putting out these this information based on the health of the fishery or the wildlife or whatever they're being asked to do. And, you know, of course, they, they don't want to make a decision that's going to be bad monetarily for the state of Louisiana. Um, they're doing this because they're saying that, hey, if you don't do something now, in the future, we see a bad things on the horizon. So you got to say, well, you know, these guys that are griping about it now it's short-sighted and it's, it's selfish because if they're just only concerned about them now, what about the future? What about the people in the future? So that, that's my whole thing. I mean, if, if you're a, if you're a recreational angler, you know, I'd be in, and you see the changes like we do. I mean, make your voice heard, you know, come to the meetings, you know, tell, tell, tell your representatives and or people, you know, Hey, look, we want this change. We want this done. We want this done in the best interest of the fishery. You know, don't just believe some guy because you follow him on Instagram or Facebook and he and he's out there posting piles of fish saying, oh, I'm catching these every day, all day long. And don't believe that. You know, if you out there fishing and you know that ain't happening, you know, don't 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 buy in his BS. Call him out on it and say, look, I want to change for the fishery because we care about the future of the fishery, you know, not just with some guy that's wanting to push, post a big old post of fish on the dock and worried about trying to get more clients. It's about, it's all about the future and the health of the fishery down the road. That's what's most important to me is we're filming this as we're recording this. My youngest son Hudson just walked in here to grab the dog because he snuck through the door and in here. And that's, that's all I care about, man, is the future of the fishery. You know, I don't want anybody to lose work. I don't want anybody to lose being able to feed their family, pay their bills. And that's, I said that at the meeting, like I know there's a lot of people who, you know, go out and target fish and keep way more fish than I do. And I'm not opposed to keep a couple of fish for dinner, like I said a million times. But for me, the most important thing is that I'll leave a better fishery or try to leave a better fishery for my kids and other people. And and I know I've had people ask me, Dave, why can't you just let this thing go at four fish and get this thing passed? I'm like, dude, if we have a chance for three fish, like it's going to be even better for the fishery, you know. I'm willing to give whatever I need to give, and, and but I've had people here get mad at me, like, why do y'all keep fighting this thing so hard? I'm like, because if you look at the numbers, they tell us this is what we need to do. And there's some that say, well, that's not what they went for at first. They said a certain percentage is what they recommended. They were afraid to ask for more, and they and they made that clear. 
Um, but for me, I've just understood the importance of showing up for these meetings. Just like Shane said, like if you're a recreational fisherman, if you're a guide or whatever, like you have to make your voice heard. You know, if you have to, if you go in believing that you're going to lose and you're probably going to lose. And so I'm just hard headed enough to hang in there and not give up uh, because all I care about a thing in the world is making a better fishery for not my kids, you know, Shane's kids and grandkids and Ty's son and grand grandkids will come along. But, uh, you know, doing whatever we have to do. And I've had the opportunity to talk to, you know, some of the ones who are on those representative committees after, you know, they shot the first NOI down that we wanted to pass, you know, and having them say to me, hey, you know, why don't we keep talking about this as this thing progress? I want to keep a discussion going about, you know, different stuff and, and being able to really be in touch with those representatives and senators and, and, and make a difference because that's, that's the only way to make a difference, so. Yeah, and that's my thing. And, you know, people people will get after it and they'll say, oh, well, you know, why? It's just one more fish. Why can't you just make it four or whatever? And I'm like, let's, that's a 14 year, you know, issue there. And I'll say 14 year issue because the four fish ordeal, that's 29 years, you know, 30, a 30 year plan as far as spawning potential ratio. And so if we can save 14 years on that timeline by making it three fish, then what the hell are we doing, you know? Right. I mean, I, if I, you tell anybody that we'll have better fishing 14 years sooner, I mean, that should be a damn no-brainer, you know? And it's still plenty. It's still plenty of fish. We're, we're still going to, you know, you'll still be able to keep fish, um, which, like I said, I've never had a problem with. I mean, I tell people all the time. When I was a kid, it was about filling that damn box up. And, you know, I just saw that we do have an effect on this fishery. And I've told people, like, back when I was running around, me and my buddy Sean running around a little flatboat, sight fishing in Delacroix and Reggio and all, man, I thought it was crazy if somebody was like, this is not an endless thing, you know? But I'd soon learn, especially after, you know, learning more about the science behind our fisheries and just fisheries in general and seeing it anecdotally for myself. You know, I always tell people there's a big difference in anecdotal evidence and scientific evidence. I tell people that all the time. Anecdotally... I'll say things that differ from science sometimes, but I always say I will back the science that the department puts out because that's all we got, honestly. For one, it's very good. They're, they've been awarded for how freaking incredible their science has been the past couple of years. Um, if anybody knows about federal fisheries and anything like that with MRIP, they had that whole discrepancy this past summer and how the MRIP is kind of what they use for stock assessments for the federal at the federal level for pelagic fish, especially like red snapper and all. Well, that uh, they found there was a major error in how many fish they were determining with that. And you know what Louisiana did years ago? They started Lacreel because they disagreed with MRIP and decided they're going to do their own thing and look who was right in the long run. So if anybody wants to discount a walleye fishery stock assessment over the past couple of years, I don't know how you do it. I really just don't know because it's the most accurate in the entire country and the whole world that's ever been done at this point. We can't just throw darts at a dartboard and, and make things up. This is the science. This is the numbers that we have to go off of. And this is the knob we can turn right now. You know, I mean, that's when it all comes down to. And, and I always say this too. I don't, let's throw everything out the window. Forget the science and all that. If you're going to fight with me and argue that you're right and the science is wrong, and I just tell you this, if we go with what you're saying, 
and we don't change anything and we say oh it'll come back you know we just had a bad spawn or two and it'll be perfectly fine mother nature fixes itself which is just comical mother nature will fix itself yes but humans are the discrepancy we're the problem in that so as long as we're around we're affecting it it's not going to fix itself so let's just say you're you know you're under that belief mother nature will fix itself what happens if you're wrong well we're screwed we're all out of a damn job we don't have any fish left well Let's go with what I'm saying, you know, the proactive thing to do. Let's change things. And maybe in a couple of years, I don't know, maybe something comes out and says that I'm wrong. And the science is wrong. Well, you know what happened? We just made our fishery that much better because we took a proactive measure. I just don't understand people that are willing to bargain that and willing to take that chance. And it's people like Shane was saying, if it comes down to you being afraid that it's going to take money out of your pocket, like you're going to just... You know, it's it's all a money thing for you. You look at every client as dollar signs and not because you love to do this. Because I know we we do treat this as a job. It is a job to us. and But it's also, we do it because we love it. But the thing is, it's a damn privilege that we get to do what we do. I mean, how many people get to stare at freaking a cubicle and four walls? We get to go out. In, there's some days when we're like, damn, this, it's, it's probably not going to be good today. The weather freaking sucks. I mean, I know I have some days where I'm like, geez, man, these guys really want to go and, you know, it's a group trip, whatever. And I'm like, it's the, the weather's just going to be so bad. But you know what? They're getting out of their office. That's their one or two days a year where they get to go out and just enjoy Mother Nature. And like I said, it's a privilege. We get to do what we do. And if we treat this fishery and this like a job that we are owed, we are owed every dollar and we could just get to do whatever we want with this fishery. Well, I mean, it's it's not going to be good for the fishery. It's not going to be good for anybody in the long run. And it's like I always say, this is we're doing something for future generations. And no future generation should have to suffer because of somebody's selfish, short-minded thinking right now. You know that they just want instant gratification. They want they want to get theirs while they can. That's just it's a it's a dumb way of thinking, in my opinion. That is why we are where we are now, because. If you look at it, it has just been exploited. Um, it wasn't it wasn't managed with a environmentally conscious management. You know, it, I mean, it's been 35 years since they've done anything. Look at the changes, the loss of habitat, increased pressure. They haven't adjusted at all. Now, I'm not pointing any fingers there, but I mean, it's time for change. I mean, it's been long overdue because I, one of my big sayings is what took Mother Nature thousands of years to build. Man has screwed up in less than a hundred, and that's a fact. And it's the same thing with no matter what you're talking about. You can go, you can go back through the history of fish and wildlife, and there are just numerous accounts of where man has stepped in, and which was once a flourishing, you know, fish or game or whatever. Man has stepped in and almost brought it to the, you know, the 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 brink of extinction. I, I wouldn't say I wouldn't say that in this case. I'm just saying. There are cases like that. So, you know, we we have to be better stewards of what we're doing. And that's what we're trying to do as three fishing guides. It's just unfortunate that there aren't there are more and it is changing. But unfortunately, you know, a lot of the guys that, um, you know, if there was only one redfish left, instead of thinking about how we can get two, they'd be wanting to see who could catch it the fastest. But uh, we're trying to change that. 
No, and Shane's spot on. You know, not to paint the doom and gloom picture. I know sometimes it may sound like that because we just want to see it what it should be. But, you know, just how he said, there's a lot of instances where man has run things into, you know, a terrible level. There's proof in instances in history where things have turned around, where fisheries have come back, you know. Fisheries have turned around because they stepped in and did the proactive thing, and, and it's rebuilt itself. And, and that's what this is here. This is not a doom and gloom, like, hopefully we can get this done. If not, next year we won't have a fish. It's just the fact of the matter is that could happen in 10 years, 20 years. I don't want to see it. I don't I don't care if it could if it could happen to where a redfish is not what we know it today and it can't be caught anymore like some other fisheries 40 years from now. I don't want that to happen, you know? I don't care if it's 40, 50, 60 years from now. I'd rather take the proactive move and do the sustainable thing and try to keep it around forever, you know? And if there's a chance to make it better than what it is now, even if it's even if you think it's great, as good as you've ever seen in your life, um, then go ahead. Why would we not make it better? You know, so we'll get off of that and I'll get a little bit into what happened at the last meeting last week. That was with Menhaden. Um, they proposed uh, back, uh, I think, in shoot, November of last year, they proposed the commission propose a notice of intent to push the Manhattan boats off a mile pretty much across the entire coast of Louisiana kind of standardizing um, Louisiana with the rest of the the Gulf I mean there's pretty much not really many regulations on it they tried a few years ago to do something about like that and as well as put a catch limit on it that was higher than the highest catch uh, you know tonnage year that they've ever had and that got shot down at the senate level we'll, we'll have a episode on menhaden probably one day soon because man there's so many people that ask me questions about it and it's a lot it's gonna be well the day we do that we will talk nothing about menhaden and pogo boats and what's going on from the gulf to the atlantic and what's going on everywhere because it's it's really is that much there's a lot of arguments for and against it that are very compelling but pretty much what went on the other day, um, the decision to pass that notice of intent to the Senate um, was kind of tabled. Um, they did not have the commission did not have a full they didn't have a full board up there, so they didn't really want to put any one person on a spot. If it did came come down to one deciding vote, which it would have because the amount of members were there, so I understand that. And they also. You know, it was kind of uh, it was kind of a heated debate between you know the couple parties there, the Menhaden crew. They have they had all their people there. I mean, they had everybody there. They had the janitors that work at the plant in Empire there. They had boat captains there. They had the owners of the companies. I mean, you know, that's not a that's not a ragtag group of people. They're you know well well educated people. There's a lot of money behind them and. They want to keep doing what they've been doing for forever, which I get. But, you know, if we're kind of getting to the point where we're talking about recreationally and commercially, that we're willing to give up and change limits that we haven't changed in 35 years, they should have to start, you know, changing the way of their business as well. Because if it, everybody that is taking from our fishery should have to do deal with some type of change if, if we're all willing to agree right now. And that's kind of where we're at. And, and, um, the commission pretty much told them to, you know, maybe the couple user groups can talk amongst themselves and come back at the next meeting. 
But, uh, you know, we've all talked about it before, and especially me, Shane, and Dave, and Fort Sulphur, and Venice, and all. I mean, we deal with those guys a ton. We've seen them a lot. Shane's been seeing those pogey boats forever. If anything, in my opinion, I feel like it's gotten, it's become more of an issue the past probably five to seven years, in my opinion. I do feel like we're seeing them more than we used to, closer in, and maybe that's a fact of they're not the Manhattan is the Manhattan numbers aren't as high. There's not a lot of science behind it, per se. There is some science on bycatch, and they're doing another bycatch study at Walleye Fisheries right now as we speak, which will be, you know, like I always said, whatever we can back the back our decisions with science, that's the way we need to go, and that's kind of how I feel about this as well. You know, as far as Menhaden numbers and all that stuff, there's not a whole lot of science on the stock itself. So it's kind of a lot of anecdotal evidence and things that we see. But as far as personal preference goes, I just think everybody's got to, you know, make some type of change for the better of our fishery soon. Yeah, I mean, that's that's the whole thing in a nutshell. They're telling us that our escapement rate on our smaller fish in shore is, is, is not this. And then the the then you got your spawning potential ratio with your offshore fish. Well, they say and everybody has to give, right? So we're trying to do our part, and we we know it's coming because we are dropping the limits. It's going to be dropped to something, right? Where I mean, well, at least we hope it is, and we're pretty sure it's at least going to be less than what it has been, um, and taking away the guide limit and what have you. But what about the the bull reds offshore? I mean. The, the, the fish that are impacted by the pogey fleet. And we don't have any great science on that, but, uh, you know, there definitely is an impact. So, you know, they have to give something as well. And it, it's got to be both ways. It can't just be one or the other. And, and I mean, that's why some of the guys are kind of, you know, you'll hear people gripe about that, but, it, oh, well, why should we have to give anything if the pogey industry doesn't? Well, my answer to that is somebody's got to give first and we're doing it. So now that we're giving, you know, they can't just keep saying, you know, well, we're not going to because we've done our part. Now you've got to do yours. And um, I don't want to see any of those. I know a lot of those guys. I mean, I grew up in Port Sulphur. A lot of the captains on those boats are from Plaquemines where I grew up. Um, I don't want to see them, you know, go out of business, but they're not going to go out of business. They know they're not going to go out of business. Their profit margins might not be as great, but they're definitely still going to do it because if they didn't, they would. If they could, could make a profit, then they wouldn't be doing other places where they have more restrictions. Okay, they still do it. Um, they still wouldn't go over toward Grand Isle and do it when they can't get on the beach. But guess what? They still do go over there. So there's a reason for it because they're still getting paid. They're still making a profit. Uh, if you look up and down the East Coast, and that's what I was talking to, to different ones and reading some articles and stuff like that, it seems like that a lot of times, you know, the recreational fishermen or the guides or whatever, they get penalized and the commercial fishermen just keep get to do what they want to do because there's so much money, uh, so much money in it, so much money that they put toward campaign contributions and stuff like that is because, you know, when you can drop thirty, forty thousand dollars $40,000 in somebody's campaign contribution because you're making so much money, you know, sometimes those commercial fishermen are allowed just to continue to do what they want to do. The recreational and the guy, they get penalized, but the commercial fishermen continue to get to do whatever they want to do. And I think that's the, the case of what's going on with pogey boats. 
No, I mean we've all we talked about that before. We do know they make an impact. There's other things that make an impact, you know, land loss and all that kind of stuff. I think we need to do everything. I think we need to dredge. We need to divert. We need to do all these things. I think we need to cut numbers of redfish back. Uh, look at what the pogey boats are doing, and so I think we're all going to take it on the chin a little bit. But you know, as far as pogey boats, that's it. I think we need to. Uh, they don't want to give up something that I mean they don't have to. So. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, there's, like I said, there's so much behind it. We'll do a whole entire episode on pogies um, someday soon. And it'll be, I mean, shoot, we can go for the the lifestyle, life cycle and what a pogie is all the way down to everybody that um, sends money to or gets money from the pogie boat organizations. Because you want to go look at some funny stuff, just go through and uh, find out every single person, and at least in the state of Louisiana, if you're bored, just go look up. It's all you know, out there for public knowledge. Look up the campaign donations over the past 10 years and the names of people who it is from Daybrook, Omega, and West Bank Fisheries. Just go look it up. Mm. Go look up our recent, our recent, you know, our newest governor and uh, see what kind of money, you know, Easy. he was getting from them. You're getting trouble, everybody. bro. You're making trouble. <laughs> I mean, it's all out there for public mo- knowledge, you know. I'm just messing with you. I mean, yeah. there's, and there's only a certain amount they can get. Like Jeff Landry, there's only a certain amount of money legally that they can get. Now, you want to dig in and go back and see if they're making more money on the side? I don't know. I'm not a private investigator. I'm just talking about public knowledge. You know, you can go and see what kind of money was donated to his campaign, and it's a certain amount, a set amount, no more than legally can be from each of those people. And that's not just him. That's every single governor. Every single governor, they oh, yeah. what do they do? They write a check. Yeah. They they're ready. They're like, who's gonna who's the governor gonna be? And they're you know, let's say there's two people running. They send checks to both of them. They're like, oh, well, here, they, you know, here yeah, you go. They do, and that's a, and, you know, but that's getting into a whole nother can of worms. I mean, the truth is, in a perfect world, you know, you'd be like, oh, thank you for your contribution, but I'm still don't think what you're doing. Yeah, right. so I mean, a, but right. that, you know, and and you know, we don't really know how it all shakes out. But I mean, you know, you just in a perfect world, it would be. You know, it'd be like leave it to Beaver. It'd be, you know, if y'all, some of you, I mean, I ain't even that old, but I mean, I was, I, I, <laughs> I watched. Anyway, anyway, you know, you do what's right, and and yeah, if if you do it right, it what's right, you know, every every it benefits everybody. Um, unfortunately, not everybody sees that sees it that way. So, uh, we just got to keep putting one foot in front of the other and fighting for what we know is right and when i say what we know is right i mean the future of the fishery and and, and if the pogey boats got to give it up they got to give it up if we got to give it up we got to give it up everybody's got to do their part to make sure that it's sustainable in the future mm-hmm. yeah i mean there's no doubt about it i wish um i've always said people always ask me like what's the end all be all to just fix you know redfish and all this stuff i'm like you know honestly I wish I could really get a get some kind of like trillionaire billionaire fired up about it, you know, <laughs> get somebody to throw a bunch of money at the right people because everybody's like, oh, this person, you know, they do this because of money, they do that because of money. And I'm like, you know what? Maybe we need some money on our end. We find some billionaire and just pay off the right people. But that's it. I'm about to start a campaign. Yeah, there you go. Just start a. We'll start a campaign for red. I don't fish. know what we're gonna call it. We're just gonna call it something to get some money. Yep, we're just <laughs> just I'm get kidding. our get our get our campaign checks like everybody else. I mean, might yeah, as well, yeah. you know. 
All right, y'all. Well, thanks for listening to this episode of the Redfish Podcast. And uh, kind of all over the place. We haven't done one in a while. It was mainly just talking about what's been going on in the world of redfish and policy and all that lately. We'll have some more for you soon. We're going to get back on kind of a regular schedule. And I got quite a few of them that are going to come up that aren't going to be much like this. They're going to be more organized as far as what we're going to talk about. Um, we got something coming up I'd like to do on the master plan, you know, at Coastal Restoration. That's a hot topic. That's a topic people get very fired up about. Um, we'll talk about that and how it's going to affect us as guides, how it's going to affect the fishery, uh, or at least what we think it's going to do, you know, anecdotally. And we'll get the science behind it as well, because that's our thing here. You know, we're, we'll tell you all about what we see on the water and what we think, but we're always going to have science to back it up. And if anybody has any ever wants to dispute anything, feel free to email us or, you know, say anything like Shane said. Feel free to debate anything for any reason. Just make sure you got your science to back it up because that's what this is about. And we'll do that. We'll have something on Menhaden probably soon. And give us some suggestions of what you'd like to hear about. I know Shane's talked about it for a while. We're going to have to do that soon as far as, like, the life cycle of a redfish. I know it's kind of general, but there's some people that should know that for one and there's some people that uh would probably find it pretty interesting as far as louisiana goes and uh we can do a bunch of stuff we can do a stuff about release mortality have a lot of science to back up you know different things on lo- release mortality and maybe i'll get some dolphins and sharks on we'll interview them about why they're killing all the redfish and trout and <laughs> how we could get them to stop so y'all have a good one um, see you at the next one. Feel free to like, share, and post and whatever on every platform you got. And uh, maybe soon we'll get Shane doing some TikToks soon to, to promote the podcast. It'll work. We can do that. <laughs> Thank you. Warming up the pipes. All right, y'all. A couple of notes to catch y'all up on and what's happened since we recorded this one. So there was a meeting done between the Manhattan Fleet and uh, CCA Louisiana. Based on our last commission meeting prior to that, the commission was pretty much like, hey, two user groups, figure it out on your own, come back to us. Just because, like I said before, there's really not a lot of science going on as far as to um, say that the Manhattan fleet is a detriment to the fishery. There's just not a lot of things done. It like there's not a lot of things that are bringing light to what a lot of people are saying anecdotally, which I get. Like we always talk about, there, there's a big difference in anecdotal evidence and scientific evidence, and that's kind of what we're playing with here. Anecdotally, we see it all the time. We see a lot of things that we don't think should be happening, but at the end of the day, until we have the science to back it up, that's that. So anyway, they had a meeting, uh, basically between CCA and. Omega and Daybrook West Bank West Bank Fisheries and all point they kind of decided on a half mile buffer instead of the mile buffer. Um, the next week, which was this today's Friday, this was yesterday actually Thursday, they called an emergency meeting the Thursday after Mardi Gras, and uh, it was brought to the commission you know as an emergency meeting and the NOI of the Menhaden ordeal with the one mile buffer was amended to send through to the Senate for oversight. So uh, they'll have 30 days to provide oversight on that, as uh, they do with anything that is sent from the commission like that. You know, while I do agree that something needs to be done, obviously, like it's good to get something kind of under your belt and put down on paper. You know, I just wish 
that we could start tackling some of the real problems with it that aren't just, you know, it looks bad, so let's do something about it. I get that. I see it. We all, me, you know, especially me, Shane, and Dave, we see it a lot, probably more than majority of anybody that'll hear this. But the thing is, there's far bigger issues with it. And it's not just about killing redfish, too. I mean, just think about the menhaden um, that are taken out of our waters, what they do to, I mean, just go read, go read the book, The Most Important Fish, Most Important Fish in the Sea. Go read that book and um, get back to me, and you'll be pretty mind-blown at why we need to do as much as we can to protect that just that fish alone. You know, I hope this wasn't just a, you know, let's just get this done. And you know, Because the Menhagen fleet kind of treated it like, they when they got up there and talked, you know, they kind of treated it as like, you know, sweeping this under the rug, this kind of sounds good enough, and uh, this is end-all, be-all deal. But, you know, it's more dire than that for sure. Um, things are changing. You know, the, the, the world has changed. People are changing. And obviously, we're going to have more user group issues as well because that's what this is a lot of too. And that's how the commission sees it right now as there's more people in the water. They're fishing in waters. And whether they're fishing in more shallow waters than they used to or not, it's just bad conflict between the two, which I get. So, you know, I just don't want to see that um, anything we end up like what, what we've seen on the East Coast where they kind of did a similar thing and then it set them back about a year and a half or so, two years before they actually got to tackle some real problems um, up there in the Carolinas and Maryland and all. But uh, we've seen that same situation play out over there. And, and uh, I just... You know, you never want to look at things like that and be like, oh, they should have done this. And then we do the same exact thing. So, but it was pretty obvious, too, that our new governor had his word heard before this meeting, as pretty much every single person that went up there thanked him for his help in this. And, um, I mean, that's great. I, I want him to have a hand in stuff like this, obviously. I want him to care about it. But, you know, at the end of the day, a lot of our government officials, especially our governor, they, you know, they receive donations from the Manhattan fleet. Um, a lot of people do. Just look it up. You know, I've said it before. Just This is a public knowledge. Just look up donations and money. I mean, it's required to be public knowledge. Like, there's so many things that people wonder about and tell me about and ask me about. And I'm like, man, you won't believe how much information is out there for the general public and that we are required to know these things. Um, and a lot of things, you know, we're required to, to not be hidden from the public. So, you know, it's out there, look it up. Um, I'll help you look it up if you want to see, but the, the thing is with it. Yes. There's a lot of people that take donations from the Manhattan fleet. It's just kind of, it's become a customary thing, you know, like a standard practice, um, new governor administration is running. They get an office. Um, you know, the Manhattan fleet's just, you know, they're like, oh, here's our donation to whoever it may be. They don't really care, obviously. They're just like, oh, this guy's probably going to make it. Probably, you know, maybe he does. Maybe these senators get in. Maybe these legislators get in. And they're like, hey, um, here's our donations, you know, and just don't forget about us. Uh, when we need help about something, which, I mean, that this is not something new to 
just Louisiana. This is not something new to the whole country. It's the whole country. That's how it works, you know. Do they have the money to do it? That's what they've always done. So whatever, you know, I, I wish I had the money to do it. I wish I had the money to say, hey, um, you know, how about you remember that our fishery comes first before any political decision? I know it doesn't work like that, but, you know, I wish I was some billionaire and could just throw money at people to say, hey, uh, why don't we uh, do this or do that or whatever, When you know, or just, I, I mean, what I would love to do is just be like, hey, do what the biologists say. If it doesn't work as far as, you know, what we thought, it's always going to make the fishery better. You're never going to hurt the fishery by, you know, doing what a biologist says when he says, hey, we need to have a little bit more proactive conservation on the subject. But, um, you know, whether the governor told them to sit down and take this and end the arguing so we can get a quick win in their new administration, or if he truly believes this is the right move, you know, we won't know until we gather further science on the menhane fishery. So good for him if he thinks it's the right move and good for him if he's just like, hey, let's get a quick win. I'm tired of hearing about it. This will look great. I mean, it's good It's good politics on his part. I'm not going to fault him for that. But that's kind of where I left my comment at the meeting. I got up there and I didn't say much. I kept it short and sweet. I pretty much was saying, hey, this is great let's get a win you know i'm glad that we've kind of worked between the 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 fishing sector and the commercial fishery of menhaden and we got to work to some form of an agreement on something finally that's super cool but i was like hey let's continue the science and continue to to back the science of the department which is again over i say it all the damn time it's been proven to be some of the most accurate and best science in the history of for sure the past couple of years. I mean, just go look at things such as MRIP and what we've done with Lacreel and all. I mean, Louisiana's on top right now as far as that go. You know, a lot of people are like, oh, we're not on top on anything except for crime or trash or something like that. I'm like, well, we're on top in fishery science. There's no doubt about it. Look it up. You know, of course, since it feels as if the Manhattan issue is put to bed for now, we start hearing a little chatter about the new Redfish NOI that was nearing end of oversight period. You know, I kind of wonder what that's about, but uh, well, I won't go into detail on that yet. I will say a piece of information I have not been seeing enough from the minute argument against is that this NOI will save us 14 years on the rebuilding of our spawning potential ratio comparative to um, one of the original suggestions of that 30-year rebuild plan. Not as quick as the last NOI that was put through, pushed through the Senate, and then um, taken down at the oversight committee, uh, over, joint oversight committee meeting. That was about an 11-12 year rebuild timeline. But, you know, 16 years is far better than a 30-year plan. Um, I mean, night and day, obviously. You know, instead of a whole generation of people, we can get a half a generation of people and brings our spawning potential ratio. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about when I'm talking about this. You know, rebuild our spawning potential ratio in 16 years rather than 30 and uh, build our escapement rates faster than the original plan of that 30-year spawning potential ratio plan as well. But um, that's a major bit of information I've seen left out by a lot of those people. And uh, that's a major bit of information I've seen left out by those people. You know, you see a post about that or something like that, ask them about it. Be like, hey, you know, I, I, I agree. It's, I get you. This is what you're saying. This is what you're agreeing. But why are you leaving out the fact that 
if we don't go with this, we're settling for a 30-year rebuild plan instead of a 16-year real rebuild plan, you know? I mean, do you want to, I mean, if, if you're older than me, I mean, shoot, in 30 years, I'll be 60. I mean, that's kind of, kind of insane to think about. So why are we, why are we doing something that, geez, what's going to change in that length of time? You know, let's just do what we can as fast as possible to get this back on track. Anyway, as I always say, do your own research and digging. Let me know what you find. I'm always all ears for everything. You know, while we know what's a lot of, at least a good bit of what's gone on behind closed doors over the past year and a half, I'd really like to think the fishery can finally come first in this, especially with an instance such as this. And, um, you know, we could see a move that's proactive move and not something that just keeps kind of the bad cells around forever. I get there's always going to be politics around, but, you know, you don't have to tell me that. I know. I've seen it. People are like, man, you're forgetting, you know, Louisiana is so wrapped up in politics. I'm like, look, I've seen it. I've been in and out of this for quite a while as far as the political side of it and the scientific side of it. And obviously I'm on the water all the time, too, for the shoot for for a long, long time now. I've I've kind of seen all sides of it. You know, I get the politics is going to be there. I know that probably more than anybody, but I'd really like to not believe that this is a case of, you know, the cancer doctor that doesn't want to end cancer. And I, I really hope not. I'd really like to think that somebody is looking out for the better of the fishery rather than the betterment of their financial, whatever, their personal finances or something like that. I just don't, I don't know. There's, uh, it's pretty crazy to me to think that somebody would care more about a dollar bill than a redfish. But I'm sure there's some of that here and there. But I'm really thinking that we can get behind something to where it's good for the fishery and not just for one person. Be on the lookout soon for another episode. And uh, in the meantime, keep the questions coming. Always feel free to ask any questions at any time. And remember, just because someone said it does not mean it's true. Follow the facts. Find the supporting data. You know, don't be afraid to debate people. And when I say debate people, it's not yelling and screaming on Facebook and then, you know, just thinking of something to get somebody. That's, you know, call that person up. Ask them some questions, you know. Just see them in person and, and listen to their side. Don't just immediately jump up and go nuts when they say something you don't like or you don't agree with or maybe you think it's crazy. You know, there's there's a reason that people believe what they believe. And I've learned that, if somebody is so dead set that they won't even let you get a word in, you're not changing their mind anyway, so what's the point? Thanks for listening to this one. Be on the lookout for another one. Keep using those hashtags, you know, hashtag one for Louisiana. I love seeing that. Like I said before, um, hopefully I'll have something in the works soon to where I can, I don't know, give something, give some stickers out or something like that to all the people that use that. I love seeing that. Like I always say, just do one thing every day. Pick up, pick up some trash. Help somebody on the water, you know. You see somebody lost or something like that. The marsh is a dangerous place. Give them a hand. Help them out. And, uh, you know, throw one fish back. You know, keep keep what you want to eat. Take some fish home, obviously. That's what we, in Louisiana, it's what we have always done. But throw a few back. Throw one fish back, you know. Help out somebody tomorrow. It's going to help you out the next time you're on the water. And maybe it'll help. You know, your neighbor down the street bringing his son fishing for the first time ever. Maybe he catches that fish. Just think about stuff like that. Pretty cool to think about when you think about a kid getting super excited on a fish, especially a tag fish. I've had 
I've had a lot of people catch my tagged fish that I've tagged, like recaptures. I've had a couple kids catch them, and a few in particular, I remember they were just fishing on the bank with their dad. I think that was twice in particular, and that was one of the coolest things ever. I was like, man, I threw that fish back. I tagged it through that fish back that day instead of keeping it, and that guy just standing on the bank with his son caught it. I mean, that's one of the coolest things that... I can say has happened in fishing and I've seen a lot of cool shit. So thank y'all and see you at the next one.